And I mean, let's be honest this morning. Think about it. Who here wouldn't want a bigger house in a nicer neighborhood? Who wouldn't want to make twice what you make right now? Who wouldn't want to drive a nicer car? Who wouldn't want a better job or at least a job that other people look at and think, wow, that's a, that's a powerful, important job? Who wouldn't want to be envied by other people? But is, I guess, the question is, is that the measure of a great life? Are, do those things amount to a great life? That's the question. In the Sermon on the Mount, which we've been looking at over the last bunch of weeks, Jesus is giving us this beautiful picture of a great life, really even a perfect life. He's giving us that picture, and he describes it again for us this morning. So let's, let's look at what Jesus says measures up, what Jesus says makes a great life. It's found in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. This is the passage we're going to look at this morning. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there to Matthew chapter 6. This is how Jesus talks about a great life. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is the word of God. So according to Jesus, a great life is not measured by, by your possessions, by, the, by your income, by your assets, and all of those types of things. And I think if we were being honest this morning, we, we would admit that there are a lot of people, maybe a lot of people in this room, who are trying to live for God and for money. But you can't do it. It doesn't work. It can't be done. And so the big idea this morning, and, and this is the one thing that I want you to remember today, is you can't follow Jesus if you're following your money. You can't do both. You can't follow Jesus and follow your money. It's impossible. A quick word to those of you who are maybe starting on this journey with Jesus. Maybe you are new to the faith or, or you're just kind of feeling out what it means to follow Jesus or maybe you just feel stuck in your faith. You feel like God hasn't, isn't moving in your life. You feel like you're going through a dry spell. Or maybe you're just not enthusiastic anymore about what God is doing in you and through you. Why does that happen? Why do people stop growing in their faith? I'd like to offer you an answer this morning. Jesus told a parable once about a farmer who was sowing seeds. Many of you are familiar with this parable. A farmer was out in his field sowing seeds. Some seed fell uh, on the rocky ground. Some seed fell on the good soil. Um, some seed, the, the birds came and they ate it. Um, and some seed, we're told by Jesus, some seed fell among thorns. And Jesus said that that seed, it grew up, but the thorns grew up as well. And so in other words, the person who heard the word of God, they started growing in their faith. They started growing, right? 
But then something happened, and, and, and they stopped growing. And here's what Jesus said happened. This is from Mark chapter 4. The worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things came in and choked the word, choked the word, making it unfruitful. So if you do not seem to be experiencing abundant spiritual fruit in your life, or you feel stuck in your faith, or you feel defeated, the reason is that the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things have come in your life and creeped in, crept in, and this, it's, it's choked the Word of God. It's, it's suffocating your spiritual growth. That's what's happening. According to Jesus, you're trying to serve God and money. And that's a big reason why people stop growing in their faith. And Jesus' point, I think, is that unless your treasure is more of God, then you are serving something else. You are in bondage to something else. And that thing might be money. And the reason that that happens, the reason we end up serving money and living for money is because we have believed a lie. And the lie is this. More money and better stuff is going to lead to more happiness and more of a life. That's what we believe. And if we believe that, we get stuck. Because you can't follow Jesus and follow your money. In Proverbs 23, 5 Solomon said, Cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. And Jesus said something similar, didn't he? He said, If you store up treasures on heaven, it's not going to last. Rust, it, it, rust is going to destroy, uh, decay. Um, the thieves are going to come in and steal. None of it's going to last. My wife and I, uh, just this last week, we purchased a, a new-to-us vehicle. Uh, to be our family hauler. We have five kids, so we need a bigger vehicle. And um, back in 2010, we had purchased a 2001 big, S like, suburban SUV, Yukon XL. And in 2010, it was only nine years old. Had about had a little over 100,000 miles on it. It was in, oh, don't show that yet. <laughs> um, I'm getting to that in a minute. It looked so nice. It was in really good shape. And, it, you know, the, it didn't have much rust on it. It ran great. We had to put a little bit of money into it, you know, because it was used. But the interior was so clean. And um, it was so nice. I wish I could show you a before and after picture of the interior. Because today, there are, th there are three door panels missing. There are tears all through the leather on the, was on the seats. You can see through it to the metal on the driver's seats. It's just trash. There's stains everywhere on the upholstery. And um, incidentally, my wife drives it more than I do. And so it has been in a few minor accidents. Some of you may recall this happening in the church parking lot last October. That wheel is supposed to be attached to the truck, but it's not. And so anyway, long story short, we've had this truck for eight years, 100,000 miles. We've put over 100,000 miles on the truck. It's just time to get a new truck. And I was thinking as we purchased this nice, you know, newer, <laughs> we got another one of those because my wife really likes them and, and they're big enough for us and everything. And I was, just think, I was just picturing it, growing wings and flying away, never to be driven again. Just like Solomon said, because someday that will happen. 
doesn't matter how nice it is right now, someday it's going to be a piece of trash, that truck. And that's true of everything we own. Everything we own, no matter how, your house, your cars, your money, it's all going to be gone. You know why? Because sin has produced a curse. Sin has cursed this world. And everything in this world is subject to decay. None of it's going to last. It's all God's anyway. Every, every good thing that you have is a gift from God. There's no reason to hang on to it. No matter what you do, you'll never preserve it. Because it's, 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 not, it's just not going to last. It's all subject to decay because of sin. And um, I'm not trying to be negative, but, you know, the same thing's true of our bodies. Our bodies are all aging. They're all dying. We're all dying. And, and that is the curse of sin. It's death. And that means that the best thing that we can do with our stuff, with our money, and with our bodies is to use it to please God and honor God. Because life is short. It's all flying away. And one day, we're going to be in heaven. That is our hope. That is the hope that we have. And when that day comes, we won't care. We won't care about this stuff anymore. We won't care about this building. We won't care about our houses. We won't care about our money. None of that has value in heaven. One of the most fascinating things Jesus ever said, in my opinion, is in verse 21 of chapter 6. Jesus said, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What does that mean? What does it mean, where your treasure is, that where your heart, will your heart be also? It means that your heart follows your money. Wherever you invest your money, let's say that you buy a property or you make an investment in a stock or something like that. What happens? All of a sudden, your, your concern and your attention goes to that property, the condition of that property and the value of that property and the value of that stock. All of a sudden, you start paying really close attention to that, don't you? Because that's where your money is. When you spend a lot of money on something, you start to care about it a lot. You buy a new car, you buy a new house, you start to care a great deal about preserving those things because that's where your money's invested in, right? But at, guess what? You know what else happens? After a bunch of years, you don't care as much anymore, most of you, because <laughs> things happen. It get, you get, have an accident. It breaks down. It's not, the value's gone down. You know, I'm going to replace it anyway, so who cares anymore? That's just, what, that's just how, we, how we live. And this is an incredibly practical teaching because if this is true, that where your money goes, your heart goes, then if you want your heart to change, if you want to experience spiritual growth in your life, then guess where you should start investing your money? Into the kingdom of God. Because once you start doing that, you're naturally going to start caring more about heavenly things, according to Jesus. That's how our heart works. Your heart and your money are tied together. Your money is a spiritual issue, Jesus is saying. Um, a couple weeks ago, we talked about the heart. And Solomon said about the heart in, in Proverbs 4.23, this will be familiar to many of you. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Your life comes from your heart. You live out of the things in your heart. So if your money and your heart are tied together then the way that you spend your money, the way that you give your money, the way that you save your money, all of that 
affects your heart and your spirit and the, your ability to relate to God rightly. All of that is tied together. So if I asked you this morning, hey, what do you think is God's biggest competition for your heart? What is God's biggest competition for you? What is he competing with? According to Jesus, it's your money. He's competing with your money and your stuff. It's like Jesus is saying, you can't follow me and follow your money. You can't serve me with your whole heart until you stop serving your money. Because for many people today, their money owns them. It's not the other way around. And the fact is, God doesn't need our money. He doesn't need our money. He owns all of it. But God wants our hearts. He wants our affection. He wants our devotion and our allegiance. Because that's what's best for us. And he knows that our hearts are tied up in our money. And so the reason that Jesus, I mean, Jesus talked about money all the time. This is the second sermon on money that we've had in this series. This is the second time Jesus has brought up the the issue of money and giving already in just the Sermon on the Mount. And the reason Jesus talks so much about it is because he knows that money has the power to keep people away from God. It just does. Money has the power to keep us away from God. And do you know what that means? It means that money is a spiritual subject. It's not some separate category of your life that you can, you know, sort of, okay, here's my life with God. Here's my life, you know, following God and being part of the church. And then over here is my financial life. No, that's not, that's not how it works. Your financial decisions, your financial future, your spending and giving habits, those things are all tied up with your, your relationship with God. That's what Jesus wants us to understand. It all goes together. And so Jesus gives us an illustration in verse 22 to 24. He says this, The eye is the lamp of the body, and if your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, if you're like me, you, you probably hear this verse, these couple of verses, and you're wondering, what is that doing there? I don't, I don't understand that. Um, and I didn't understand it at first either. Um, when I first started uh, reading this passage uh, a long time ago, it's like, well, first he's talking about treasure, then he's talking about the, our eyes, and then he's talking about money again. What's going on here? Is he, did he change the subject, or what's this all about? Now, the Bible will often use our eyes, our physical eyes, as a metaphor to describe our heart, to describe our life. Or our identity. And that's what Jesus is doing here. So the connection is that people who, who, people who love money and who have this strong desire and ambition to make more money or to have nice things are blinding themselves spiritually. That's what they're doing. They're blinding themselves spiritually. A preoccupation with making money and, and getting nice things darkens people spiritually. It actually confuses their identity. It confuses their understanding of God. It keeps them from seeing God's activity. It keeps them from hearing and discerning the voice of God. So if, if you're a person, again, we, we've said this already, but if you're a person who feels like, I haven't heard from God in a while, I, uh, I, I feel like God is distant, it could very well be that you 
have a preoccupation with money. And that doesn't necessarily mean you're making a lot of money, okay? Rich people and poor people struggle with this. Rich people struggle with protecting all their money, and poor people struggle with getting enough money. But they're both preoccupied with money. Middle class people are not immune to this either. We're always comparing ourselves with rich people and saying we don't have enough. We look down on people who have less than us. We are all affected by this. And so when God is not your first love, you cannot see clearly anymore, spiritually speaking. That's what Jesus is saying. Your eyes are spiritually dark. Your heart is spiritually darkened. Now, the, one of the questions we really have to wrestle with this morning is, is how, do, how can I know? How can I know if I'm seeing clearly or not? How can I know if I'm storing up for my, myself treasures on earth or if I'm storing up for myself treasures in heaven? How can I really know? Because, you know, this is hard to see in ourselves, isn't it? Jesus said that once. He said, if you have greed in your heart, you need to watch out. You can't even see that on your own. So I want to give you a couple examples. One of the examples comes from the, from the clip that we watched earlier. Um, and it's this. If you choose a job for the money, because you get more money, right? Many of us have chosen jobs before because we got a pay increase. Isn't that true? But if that's the only reason you chose a job, you know, you didn't think about what, it, what that job, what doing that job would do for your character, Maybe you didn't think about what that job would do for other people, how that job might help or affect other people. Maybe you didn't think about what that job would do for your family. All you thought about was what that job, what that job would give you in income and status, just like the guy from the movie clip, right? That is a person who, is, who has, uh, his eyes are dark. That's what that is. He is darkened. His heart is darkened. He can't see clearly. He chose that job for the wrong reason. I'll give you another example. And this is probably a bigger one. Your eyes are spiritually dark if you never talk with other people about the way you spend and give. If you never talk with other people outside your household about your income, your giving habits, your spending habits, all of those types of things, then something's not right. And I want, to give you an ex- I want to give you a picture of this, okay? I want you to picture this scene with me. You're sitting in your small group, all right? You're sitting in your small group, and it's time to pray. Maybe you're at the end of your, you're at the end of your, uh, getting towards the end of your, your time together as a group, and, and your, your small group leader says, okay, everyone, let's spend a few minutes praying together, right? So does anyone have any prayer requests? And uh, someone in your group raised their hand and said, yeah, I got a prayer request. My wife and I need help with our finances. Um, we have plenty of money. That's not the problem. It's that, you know, actually, we make about, about $60,000 a year, okay, um, gross. We make $60,000 a year, and um, we recently got our giving statement from Crosspoint. And this isn't a true story, by the way. Uh, <laughs> just a, you know, case scenario. And it turns out we only gave $2,000. I, I could have swore we gave more, but we only gave $2,000 last year to the church and to anyone. And um, we just sense that God wants us to give a lot more. But we're not sure how. 
because we're, we're living within our means, but we're living like right at the top of our means, you know, and, and we're just not sure how, where to make room for more gift. I mean, it's going to be a sacrifice, and we're not sure what to cut out. So we actually brought a copy of our, our, our income or our budget, and we were just hoping we could go through it with you guys tonight, and maybe you could help us, you know, just see some room in our budget and maybe where we're spending too much and where we could cut back and things like that. Now, first of all, I'll bet that's never happened in your small group. (laughs) But if it ever did, if ever a couple said that in your small group, I can guarantee you that God is working in their life. I promise you, God is doing something in their life. And they might be the most spiritually mature couple in your small group for them to say something like that. And to go out on a limb and to put themselves out there and to ask for that kind of help and to be transparent. I mean, in our small group, I mean, we, we, talk about, we talk about a lot of things. We talk about our needs. We talk about our failures at times. We talk about our struggles. We need prayer for this and that and the other thing. We just don't talk about this that way. And so I want to ask you this morning, who have you invited into your life to even look at your finances, and to, and to ask, hey, is, am I okay here? Am I, am I did you see any, do you see any um, sacrifice in the way that we're living? Do you see any greed in the way that you're living? Because let's be honest, we can't see greed in ourselves. We just can't. Greed is a very unique sin. It's not like the sin of, of lying or a sin like stealing or a sin like adultery where you know when, the, when you're doing those things. Nobody has to point that out to you. But greed is much more subtle than that. And that's why Jesus had to tell us to watch out for it because it sneaks up on you. And before you know it, it's there. It's taken hold in your heart. So, the question is, why do we think our finances are off limits? Why do we think that is, that is like this private information that I shouldn't share with anybody else? Because Jesus talked about money all the time. He talked about it all the time because he knew that this would be a struggle for us. And that it would always be competing with God for our attention. So if money holds that much influence over us, why do we keep it private? And keep it personal. I mean, you all know what I make. It's on the annual budget. If you, if you want the copy of the budget, you can get it next week and you can see what I make. Now, I, I, I don't have a choice, so please don't think I'm like this pious person for... It's just out there. Everybody knows what I make and, and whatever. But I really think that you need to invite somebody. Somebody you trust. Somebody who cares about your faith. To help you see. Help you see what influence money has over you. And you know what? It's not that difficult to measure. You know why? Because you can know how much you make. You can know how much you spend. You can know how much you give. It's not like you have to guess. Money's a pretty exact thing. It can actually be counted, right? So if we want to move from darkness to light, if we want our spiritual eyes To be clear, something has to change in the way that we relate to our money. Something has to change. So, what if I just told you today? Be content. Just be content. Isn't that what we all need? 
If we were all content with what God has given us, wouldn't we be in a, in a better position to start laying up our treasures in heaven? Isn't that true? And the reason that, we're, the reason that we, we chase after money and become, you know, um, in bondage to money is because we just can't be content. So I have a solution. We have contentment crackers this morning that you can actually come up here and eat. And, and some kids from our small group actually designed the packaging for these, these brand new crackers. You can't even get this in stores yet. But it's, it says here, do you want to feel amazing? I didn't even tell them to write any of this. Do you want to feel amazing? Do you, wanna, do you want to be content? Try our new contentment crackers. One bite and the content will come to you. Okay, so that's, that's all you got to do is after the service today, I know you already had a cracker, but you probably have some room left. After the service this morning, you can come up here and take a cracker and you will be completely content. And when your neighbor, pull, your neighbor pulls up in his driveway with that brand new SUV or whatever it is, it won't bother you at all. You'll go back, you, you know, you'll, you'll, you can go for a ride in it and see all the new um, options he has, and then you'll get back into your Toyota Corolla. No offense to those of you who own a Toyota Corolla. But then you'll drive around and you'll be like, I love my car. How many of you would come up here and eat one of these crackers? That's it? How many of you would, how many of you would, would send your wife up here and be like, you need to eat one of those crackers today? <laughs> or one of your kids. Send your kids up here. You guys need to take a whole sleeve of crackers. Because we can't live this way anymore. I hate, to, I hate to break this to you, but you can eat the whole box of crackers and your heart is not going to change. <laughs> However, I have good news. I really do have good news today. <laughs> your heart can change. Your heart can change. And here's what has to happen. And this is so simple. You have to want Jesus more than you want money. That's really it. You have to want Jesus more than you want money. Now, how does that happen? How does that happen? You have to see something with your spiritual eyes that you never saw clearly before or that you didn't see clearly before or that you need to see afresh. And so I want to share a couple of verses with you this morning. Deuteronomy 7, 6. God is speaking to the Jews, but we know that this promise is for us as well because of what Jesus did. This is what Jesus said, or this is what, um, this is what God said to his people. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. Okay, that's how God looks at you today, as his treasured possession. There's a couple verses in the New Testament, by the way, that say the same thing. In 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, the Apostle Paul wrote, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Now let's think about Jesus for a minute. Because both of those verses are about Jesus. Jesus did not store up treasures on earth. Okay, he worked hard, he made a living, he supported himself, but he did not store up treasures on earth. He poured himself out on people instead. He gave everything he had. In fact, he was born into poverty, 
And he didn't try to climb his way out of poverty because he wanted to identify with poor people. And that's what he did. That's how he lived. He lived a very simple life. He never made a lot of money. He never traveled far from home. He never wrote a book. And in the prime of Jesus' life, the prime of his life, his early 30s, when he could have worked the most hours and made the most money and saved the most and all of that, he gave himself over to die the most humiliating, excruciating, and agonizing death that he could have. And why did he do that? Why did Jesus in the prime of his life, give himself over to be, to be killed like that. According to the New Testament, it was for us. Do you know why? Because we are God's treasure. We are God's treasured possession. He loves us. He is jealous for you. He's jealous for you. He, does, he looks at the way money controls us. He looks at the things we do to get more money, and it makes him jealous in his heart. And he will do everything in his power to make sure that money does not have its way with you and me. And that money does not control us and destroy us, because that's what will happen when we live for money. Money cannot save you, okay? Money is not evil. There's nothing, money is not evil. There's nothing wrong with it. We are the problem. <laughs> the way that we relate to money. And we are God's treasured possession. And it's, I love what Tim Keller said once. He said, when Jesus, looked at you, when Jesus looked at us, he said, even if I have to die, even if I have to go to hell, as long as I can have them, it's worth it. Because we are God's treasured possession. And when you see that Jesus lost every kind of earthly treasure so that we could be his treasure, it will free you from the power of money. You will be able to store up treasures in heaven. But you have to see that. And you have to believe it. You have to see yourself the way God sees you. <laughs> As his treasured possession. So if you're asking me today, and I know some of you are, <laughs> why should I give my money away? I work hard for my money. I have kids to provide for. I have a future to plan for and all those things. And I'm not saying you shouldn't do those things. Those are good. You should, you should store up for the future. You should provide for your family. But if you're asking me, why should I give my money away? Why should I give my money to God's work? If you're actually asking me that question, something's wrong. And, and here's what I would say to you. And here's the reason. Because God gave his own son away to get you. That's what he did. He gave his only son to get you. He gave us everything. And God wants to keep you. And God wants to be near you. And God wants to speak to you. But none of that can happen if you're attached to your money. And so I have two challenges for you today, and, and they're very specific. I didn't want to leave you without some practical challenge because this is, money is such a practical subject. And these are very specific. <clears throat> so 
I believe that if, if you will trust Christ in the gospel, okay, that's step number one. You have to believe the gospel. You have to preach the gospel to yourself. You have to remind yourself that you are God's treasured possession, that he gave his only son for you. That's where it starts. But then the first challenge is I would say you need to start tracking where your money goes. That's the first step. Most of you probably don't even know where your money goes. Maybe you don't even know how much you're giving or how much you're spending or, on what, or what you're spending it on. Maybe you're, at the end of the month, you're always like, man, I have nothing left. Where does it all go? Has, have any of you ever felt that way? That's not a good place to be. You're going to have a very hard time changing anything until you discover first where your money's going. You need to ask yourself, looking at your spending and your giving, where is the cross in our budget? Where is the cross in my finances? Where is the sacrifice? Where is the death to self? Where is the good news here? Where are we trusting God? Okay, so that's the first step. You need to track where your money goes. The second step, and this is, again, this is simple, is to start giving. You, you just need to start giving more. <laughs> I don't know how else to, tell, to say this. And, and this is so simple and so practical and very powerful, I would add. I, I mean, think about healthy living. If you want to get healthy, if you want to get fit, if you want to, you know, if you want to change the way you feel and change the way you look, you have to change your diet. You can't wait until you're healthy to start doing that. <laughs> you, have to do, you have to change something first. You can't wait to get in shape to start exercising. It doesn't work that way. You have to start exercising first. You have to practice. You have to train. You have to develop good habits. And generosity works very much the same way. In fact, generosity is a skill. According to the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 8, he talks about it as, an ex- as a skill. And, and the way to sharpen any skill is through practice. So we need to start practicing Giving and generosity. We just need to start doing it. <laughs> and that will begin. Sometimes you just start the practice first and the heart change follows. It doesn't always, doesn't usually work that way, but with money it does. And so that's the second challenge. And I believe that if you guys will, if we together start applying those two principles and those two habits, that God will begin to work on our hearts. Now, I want to close by saying this this morning. There's nothing wrong with having wealth. Please don't misunderstand me. There's nothing wrong with having wealth. There's nothing wrong with having a lot of money. There's nothing wrong with having nice things. Jesus never condemned those things, right? Jesus isn't even concerned with how much money you have. He's concerned with our attitude towards our wealth and possessions. That's what Jesus cares about. Jesus didn't say, don't store up treasures on earth. He didn't say that. What he said was, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth. There's a difference, right? Your money and your stuff is all a gift. You and I are just stewards. We're just managers. That's all we are. We're just using God's gifts. He gives us these gifts temporarily to use so that we can experience more of God, so that we can know Him more and love Him more, so that we can bring others to faith in Him, so that we can bless other people who don't have what we have. God owns it all, and he has entrusted each one of us with with all the things that we have. But all of our money and all of our things, it's not ours. It's his. And if that's true, then 
You need to take care of yourself and your family. And then use everything God has given you to bless other people and give God the glory and praise. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where rust and moth do not destroy, where thieves do not come in and steal, where God keeps us near him without fear, without anxiety, without worry, forever. Um, a couple of things I just wanted to update you on because we talked about them last week. Um, Linda, the lady, I forget her last name, but she's the lady that fell on the ice last week. Um, and we told you she, uh, she broke her tibia right above the kneecap. And so I just want to give you an update. Um, we, did, we, we were able to talk to her this last week, and, and John and Diane vi- um, visited her a couple times, I think, and have been keeping tri- um, tabs on her. They didn't have to do surgery, so we praise God for that. But she is actually staying at, um, they, they assigned her to the village at Manor Park right on Beloit and 84th Street. She's going to be there for the next six to eight weeks. She's got a splint, and they have to do some physical therapy and stuff. So she's going to be there for a while. So um, if you would like to just reach out to her and just say, I'm praying for you. I just want to encourage you. Please let me know. Um, she would love to hear from us. If you want to stop by and pay her a visit just to encourage her, she would love that. Um, that's not something that just, the, you know, the pastors get to do that. It's, I, I really love doing that, and the other guys do too. But if you would like to do that, it would really mean a lot to her. And I know most of you don't even know her because she's only been coming for a few weeks. But anyway, I think that would mean a lot to her. Also, Courtney and Andrew Peterson had, her, had their baby on Friday on his due date. And uh, his name is Kobe Brooks Peterson. He was born at 9.37 a.m. on Friday. He is eight pounds, five and a half ounces. And uh, I, th- I don't know if they're still in the hospital, but um, you guys can encourage them if you want to reach out to them and encourage them. And, and we w- we're just praising God for a healthy baby for them. It's their first child, so their lives about to be turned upside down. And we're excited for them. We're excited about that. That's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. They're coming home today. That's good. So that means probably there were no complications. So a couple other things we want to bring to your attention. Easter is four weeks from today. Four weeks, that's it. And uh, we're anticipating a great service like we always have, especially on Easter Sunday. We get to celebrate and, and remember the Lord Jesus and his, that he's alive. And we're using this as an opportunity to encourage you guys to invite your friends. And this is a big deal to us because this is one of the ways that we can bring people um, who we know, who maybe don't know God yet, or who have questions about God, what it means to what it means to belong to God, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. We want to invite them to, to be part of what God is doing here. So it's just a simple invitation. I know that might be intimidating to some of you, but the gospel of Jesus is something that is contagious. It's good news. It's something we want to share with people because that's the only hope that we have for a future with God. And so we're, call, we want, we're going to challenge you to invite two people or to bring two people. You might have to invite 10 people to actually get two people to come. But we're calling it U plus 2, and you should have this in the, in your, um, bro, the program that you got today. And um, so it gives you information about Easter Sunday. Yourself and two other people, and we, wanna, we really want a packed house on, on Easter because we want as many people to hear about the good news of Jesus Christ as possible. So we're, we're going to ask you to pray, decide, and invite. So we want you to pray about who those people might be, decide that you're going to invite them, and then just do it. And you can take a couple weeks to do that. Just make sure you invite them before Easter Sunday. That's the goal. 
and we're looking forward to a great Sunday. The Sunday before that, March 25th, we're having a baptism class. For anyone who's interested in baptism, maybe you have questions about baptism, um, or you want to be baptized, you can fill this card out today and just put it on that back table uh, or give it to one of the ushers, and then we can prepare for that. Um, If you're ready to be baptized, if you're just interested in baptism, but you're not sure if you're ready, or if you just want to talk to a pastor about baptism, you can fill out one of these cards and give it to um, Dennis, who's standing at the back doors today, so we can prepare for that class. I think that's, that's all in the way of announcements. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads as I give you the benediction this morning, which comes from 1 Timothy chapter 6. This is how Paul kind of closes his letter to Timothy. This is what he says. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Amen. Praise God. You are dismissed.